Well, I'm super excited for this week's guest. Uh, his name is Michael Golden. He's based out of Winnipeg, uh, Canada. He's an active investor and developer. But what makes Michael especially unique is that his educational background is nothing short of exceptional. He's got a MBA. He's got a master's of science in real estate. And he also has a master of taxation. So he brings that rare element of academia and combines it with real world entrepreneurial spirit, spirit to have built a portfolio of uh, 500,000 square feet of commercial property. Uh, one of them in particular is 168,000 building. I uh, was formerly a tannery and they repurposed it and turned it into a multi-tenant industrial building. He's got a fascinating story and he's just a really, really good guy and a really smart guy. So I, I know you'll really enjoy getting some value from hearing Michael talk on this. Let's jump into it. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for joining me on this call. Hey, Chad, thanks for having me. So we've chatted a few times uh, about commercial real estate and warehouses in general. And I'm, and I'm really excited to, to jump into this with you because you have the rare combination of having some really extensive business and real estate education with, uh, with your graduate work, as well as having active real world experience with your own properties. So I, I guess that's probably the, the logical place to jump into is, is what got you into real estate? Uh, and how did you become so dedicated to the pursuit of, of education? as well as your own portfolio? Yeah, I mean, it it's, was really a family business. Um, not so much a family business in, in commercial real estate, but a variety of small businesses growing up. I mean, my, my dad was my mentor, right? He had a work ethic, an entrepreneurial spirit like you've never seen. Uh, he grew up very poor in the north end of Winnipeg. I mean, he always tells a story. He had 17 people living in a three-bedroom house with no running water. Um, so, you know, he, he started as a serial entrepreneur collecting scrap metal and, and things and, um, and then a pinball arcade in a deli in downtown Winnipeg. And, and I grew up in, in some of those small businesses and, and learning firsthand uh, the entrepreneurial spirit. So, yeah, and then from there, you know, our family often had very little capital. So we started to identify underused, distressed real estate opportunities, you know, purchase them for very little money, often with a vendor take back, and then start a business that could absorb that real estate and effectively be our own tenant. So your portfolio has since grown to half a million square feet. And is that all in, in Winnipeg or is that all over? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's all in Manitoba. Um, I'm a firm believer that you should buy investments and manage uh, your investments in your own backyard. Um, so I like to go to site every day and interact with tenants. Um, I'm, I'm by no means a, a passive real estate investor, right? Um, my main income producing property is 168,000 square foot industrial building uh, that we converted from a former tannery into a multi-tenant warehouse. It was mm -hmm. uh, an, an adaptive Reeves project. So tell me more about that one, because I, I that one is very uh, interesting to me. It was, a, it was an old tannery, 168,000 square feet, which is a big industrial property, uh, for especially for an older property. So what it's was a whole the, city block. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's huge. So what was the process of, of taking a, an old, and I'm, I'm guessing you probably bought it vacant or on, on the cusp of being vacant. Uh, what was the process in taking an old industrial building that was on a full city block all the way to a repurpose where, where it's now an income producing property for you? Yeah, it was quite a journey. I mean, it, when we bought it, 
it seemed like there was more rain coming inside the building than outside. <laughs> I mean, there were holes in the roof everywhere. There were thousands of pieces of mechanical equipment. It smelled terribly. Um, there were old T12 fluorescent light fixtures throughout when half the bulbs didn't work. The other half, the ballasts didn't work. There was a 2 million BTU boiler that serviced the whole building uh, with steam lines running everywhere. Uh, there's a single electric meter, a single gas meter. Uh, it was it was awful, uh, and and no one wanted to buy it. Uh, it sat vacant for years before before I made an offer on it. Uh, but you know the the purchase price was ten dollars per square foot. Wow! Right, so very inexpensive, uh, and structurally the building was great. I mean it was uh, concrete masonry, block construction, um, and uh, and we knew that there was tremendous upside. So. I, I just evaluated what it would take to service the debt. And what we really needed was $1 per square foot triple net. And I knew that no matter how bad the building was, you know, if you could get the machinery gutted, the interior painted and new lighting installed, that $1 would be a cinch. Um, comparable properties in the vicinity were, were leasing for between four and $5 per square foot. So to take a hundred percent vacant building and, and start creating some absorption, we had to get to work very fast. Yeah, you're not kidding. So quick math on that, you would have bought that for like the $1.7 million range. Uh, and, and I'm guessing since you've repurposed it and and now have income coming in, there's it's probably grown by a multitude of uh, uh, in appreciation. So I'm sure that uh, that project probably looks pretty good in hindsight, but I, I'm sure it also came with a lot of risk and sleepless nights at the beginning as you were repurposing it. It sure did. Did I mean that's that's the life of an entrepreneur, right? You, you, you take risks and you buy assets that uh, that you think that have tremendous upside, and you you manage your risk with your abilities and your skill sets. And uh, this particular property needed sweat equity more than anything. So coming into the project, um, we hired our own painters. We hired. We we bought a pressure washer and. Uh, sold a lot, a lot of the equipment to Hutterite colonies, some of the pumps and fans and things in there to generate cash flow early on. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it came one step at a time. Uh, we started early on with film production. So a lot of short-term tenants that would come in and, uh, and, and pay quickly and, and just reinvested all that capital into renovating the building and, and turning it into a multi-tenant flex industrial property. If it's fascinating. And I, I love talking with you about this because like I mentioned earlier, you're, you're a very rare combination of, of you. You could essentially be a professor with the amount of education you have, but you also have all this real world experience, which is just very uncommon. It's usually the people that have as much education as you go that professor, professor route, and they don't have that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, whereas on the other side, the entrepreneurial spirit usually doesn't have all that, that education. So you're, you're that fascinating blend of being able to combine those two effectively. Uh, and and I, that, I guess that leads to the next question I have for you is when you are looking at a property like that tannery, the 168,000 square foot building that nobody else wanted. How do you value that when you're when you're trying to perhaps convince yourself or convince lenders or convince other stakeholders? How, how are you valuing an opportunity like that? Yeah, look, um, the education provides me with the tools to tackle the aspects of managing, owning and managing real estate. But Going to school isn't necessarily about learning, right? It's, it's about learning how to learn, 
learning where to find the answers, not necessarily learning what the answers are. So if I look at a real estate acquisition and let's say, you know, the parking lot needs to be repaved, um, you know, I will know where to look and, and what questions to ask to understand, say, the CCA for the parking lot. It helps guide my decisions on how to structure deals for cash flow, tax planning, financing, you know, preparing budgets, uh, creating systems, um, putting together timelines, negotiating with tenants, working with trades. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of evaluations and there's a lot of business planning when, when coming into a property, especially one that's an adaptive reuse. Mm-hmm. So walk me through your process and maybe this one is the tannery is so unique that it's uh, it's might not be the best example of looking at a, at a income producing property, but what would your process be if, if someone brought you an opportunity to purchase a uh, call it a hundred thousand square foot industrial property with, with some existing rental income in there, perhaps it's at market, perhaps it's not. How do you go through your internal underwriting process to determine what you feel the value of that property is? You know, it, it all starts with the sales price, right? You, you create a model going off of that, um, that first cash flow, <laughs> the first cash outflow. Uh, make sure you provide plenty of contingency. Um, so you created 10 year discounted cash flow analysis. And then you project out a terminal cap rate for the end to define what the reversion will be for the property. And then built into your model will have an inherent discount rate to determine your, your net present value. But and those two items ultimately determine the valuation and, and the returns you're going to expect for the property. But the valuation ultimately starts with the person who's selling the property, who mm-hmm. has hired an agent. So that agent has advised the seller on a price based on their own assumptions. Mm-hmm. So, and then and I've hired an agent to represent my interest and I'm going into the deal challenging their assumptions with my own assumptions, trying to bridge that gap. So what I, what do I need to make that deal work? Uh, and relying on, on my agent or my representation to articulate my position. So um, yeah, that's, that's where I start. And I look at the sales price and I do a quick gross potential income, deduct the vacancy, uh, add back other income for the property, such as parking lot revenues or, or other miscellaneous revenues that may be available, um, deduct operating expenses, and when you deduct the operating expenses, you know, you need to you need to know whether the leases of the properties, if there's established income in there, uh, allow for grossing up recoverable expenses for vacant spaces, or whether those recoverables are the landlord's responsibility when they're vacant. Um, then ultimately you get to a net income and then you choose a cap rate to get value and, and you hope it's close to the vendor's price. Um, the next, you, know, you look at your debt service and deduct that from the net income to get your before tax cash flow, and and if that works, we move to the next stage of due diligence. Now that's sort of the high level basic analysis that you start with, and then if you evaluate the debt service, go a step further and and speak to your lender about programs that might be available. For example, if you're acquiring a property, like an industrial property that may need major tenant improvements, speak to your lender if the tenant improvement portion of the debt service can be interest only uh, while the leaseholds are being done or perhaps structure a separate operating line of credit for the improvements alone. Uh, and then when those are done and the tenants come in and it's fully leased, then roll that up into the amortizing loan. Um, so that's kind of the, the pro forma start um, of, of the process. And then 
And then you get into some of the formulas uh, that lenders care about, right? We, we evaluate the debt service coverage ratio after discussions with lenders and what the amortization periods may look like for the specific property, loan to value percentages, interest rates. Um, and then one of the most important ratios that matter for me are, are, is the break-even occupancy ratio, right? We wanna see how our debt service and operating expenses stack up against uh, the projected income to see what we need in order to service our downside uh, because potential purchases of properties often look at the upside and don't properly evaluate the downside. So a sensitivity analysis is a very important exercise to perform to see what the asset will perform during a downturn or, or period of high vacancy. A couple of great points you made in there, Michael. And, and I, I can myself really appreciate your comments about the downside risk, because I, I agree. I think far too many people only look at it with the rose colored glasses of how good it could be, but protecting that downside risk is, is so important. It's kind of like that Warren Buffett's uh, advice is never lose money. Uh, I, I think that that's very applicable with real estate is to make sure you at least understand what that downside risk is and, and are prepared to mitigate it if possible. Uh, I want to expand on some of those formulas a little bit more because real estate is fascinating from the standpoint that you can take a very, very basic calculation like the cap rate uh, to, to get an estimate of value all the way up to discounted cash flow analysis to get an NPV in your IRR. Uh, and, and you and I've chatted before where you could even make amendments to that and have a modified IRR uh, and, and different factors you can take into account, which become very, very mathematically complex. But, and I had this uh, a little bit of a debate on a video I made about cap rates. I, I like cap rates as a good entry point. I think that that's just a natural point where you capitalize the net income to get an estimate of value. I think that's a very logical thing to get into. When, when you're looking at a property, will you typically start with that cap rate or are, are you not comfortable having a value in mind until you do run that full model? You know, it all starts with cash flow, right? It, it starts with evaluating. Um, how desirable the building is in a particular sub-market in the entry point. And our approach is to target distressed real estate opportunities or ground-up development sometimes as well. So when we look at a property, we look at the surrounding neighborhoods. We look at the economic base, the economic drivers to help drive up absorption. And we look at the structure of the building. I mean, it's, it's, it's more of an all-encompassing evaluation Obviously, the cap rate um, in, in the cash on cash return uh, in, in your first year is, is paramount, but we evaluate it of more of a long-term horizon in terms of how will the asset perform uh, as, as a legacy to the portfolio. I, I love that. I think that that's so profound is that you can't just look at a cap rate to determine if that's going to work. You, you really got to understand what the fundamentals of the property are beyond just what the stated or projected cap rate is and, and thinking you can extrapolate that out. Uh, and I also love the point about it being a long-term thing because it's, I've, I've been in this business for 16 years and you've been doing this for a long time. It, it's very difficult to make money in commercial real estate. If you have a short holding period, it's doable. I've, I, I know people that have done it, but I think your chances of success increase the longer you can hold it. So I, I really do like keeping that in mind. Uh, so I, I'm, I know you're still actively looking yourself for, for new investments. So I guess kind of a question for you, and then perhaps you, you could also answer it in the context of other people considering uh, looking for industrial properties. And that could be anywhere in, in your market or all across the world, essentially. Uh, what 
what would you say is driving your decision analysis uh, on how you source opportunities, how you evaluate them, and ultimately what you're looking for? And, and just before you answer, I, I guess what I'm really trying to, to get is, is some value takeaway that someone watching this could say, okay, I can, I can see an experienced, successful investor who's considering this, these factors when making the decision. I could perhaps do something likewise in my market. Yeah, I mean, building on the evaluation from a from a higher level analysis and some of the advanced techniques we use, like modified internal rate of return, uh, we, we're working on ground up development. We're doing uh, a three hundred sixty thousand square foot uh, planned business park, industrial park in southwest Winnipeg right now. And so, you know, whether you're looking at an acquisition or you're, whether you're looking at a new ground up development or rehabilitation, drive around the city. Mm -hmm. People make too many decisions sitting behind a computer screen and, and looking at a spreadsheet all day. So one of my favorite things to do when I'm looking at a submarket is I go to a local print shop and I print out a four by eight, four foot by eight foot large map of, of the area, showing all the roads, showing where the employment lands are, showing where the retail nodes are and, and evaluate where opportunities may lie in terms of growth of a city. Um, and, you know, life can turn on a dime too. When you make an evaluation, you know, stay flexible, keep fighting. It's not about trying to project trends and project where the market's going to go because it's, it's, it's almost impossible. You know, being lucky is preparation meeting opportunity, where if something falls in your lap, you, knew, you need to know how to execute on those opportunities. So be nimble, respond to opportunities as they arise and don't over leverage. I mean, you and I, we've been, you've been active for how many years? 16 now. 16 years. Yeah. So we haven't seen much of, of negative leverage in conventional deals, right? We, we, we didn't live through the SNL crisis like the generation before us. Um, you know, we both have MBAs and, and have gone through graduate level education and have taught how, how good positive leverage can be and positive compound leverage. Um, but we haven't seen negative compound returns um, like, like other generations have. So, you know, there's a lot of buyers out there, especially institutional buyers right now who have huge balance sheets and are hoarding cash. Um, debt is the cheapest it's ever been. Everyone is looking for a deal and inflation is, is at the highest level we've seen it in decades. So everyone needs a place to park their money in, and real estate is a great hedge, but it can swing on a dime. Um, so I, my advice is don't go borrowing 75% of an existing asset or your existing portfolio that your family has spent decades or, or generations building so that you can find ways to keep growing exponentially in the hottest real estate market that we've ever seen. Um, this is the time to wait and capitalize on smaller deals the market isn't frothing over. Yeah, that, that, that's great advice. I, I, I agree with that completely. And I think that speaks to the earlier comment you made about downside risk is that the more leverage you take on, essentially, the more downside risk you're going to have. So I, I personally am a, am a very cautious investor with my own portfolio. Uh, I, I I go very diligently into everything to make sure that I am hedging that risk. I probably look at the risk actually more than I do the upside. I, I figure if I can hold the real estate long enough and pay down the debt uh, and cash flow along the way, I almost take that naive approach where things things will work out if I protect the downside risk first. So I, I, I'm very cautious that way as well. Uh, I, I another thing that I really appreciate about your perspective is that you weren't just a student from from a 
like a theoretical standpoint, I think you're, you're still an ongoing student of just the industry in general. Uh, and I know that you study warehouses extensively. So I kind of just want to get your thoughts on uh, maybe another two-part question. Where do you see the industrial market heading? Uh, but before, before you answer that, maybe what is it that you that you really like about warehouses like what what is the what is the allure the attraction to to yourself uh that again others might be able to glean some insight and then uh, the million dollar question that nobody has that crystal ball for is where do you project the market going in the future here yeah look uh, projections go into a pro forma for an asset to evaluate how it's how it's going to look uh long term um to me a pro forma is like a business plan. It's ever changing and you have to keep evaluating it uh, and, and make modifications as you progress. Uh, they're, they're living, breathing documents. So uh, you, you need to keep working on it nonstop. And, and the future of industrial, it depends on your submarket. You know, it, it, there's no such thing as a cookie cutter industrial building. Um, for example, one of our properties has a very low ceiling height. And it was vacant for quite a long time. And we got creative. I mean, we, we post on Kijiji. You know, you can't necessarily rely on your agent to find, to find every deal. And, and I'm okay taking in a short-term tenant. Uh, we decided, like I said, to start doing film productions. In the past three years, I've done deals with Amazon, NBC Universal, Disney, Fox, Lionsgate, Hallmark, CBC, um, you know, ranging in... Uh, for productions ranging from eight weeks long to four months long. And, and they, they like working with us because our team has an entrepreneurial spirit, right? We, uh, my background growing up was in wedding planning. My, my family was involved in a banquet hall. And, and I, from when I was 10 years old, I was working as a wedding coordinator. So there's, there's no uh, better pressure than dealing with a bride on, an, on the day of her wedding. So that customer service level uh, directly translates until into how we manage our portfolios and, and we try and instill that in, in, in the property management as well as um, ongoing tenant relationships so you know working in with these short-term tenants whether it's film production and, and helping them find you know, portable fencing for their tool lockups or washers and dryers for the productions. I mean, it's, it's, it's boots on the ground. It's being there every day. Don't be an absentee owner. Be there, form relationships. And, and that speaks to the comment you said earlier about owning real estate in your own backyard where you can drive to it. I imagine if you had property uh, in BC, uh, it'd be a lot more difficult to to see that real estate as frequently as, as you do. And, and also to offer those same types of services. If you did have a tenant that needed something to go above and beyond with that that service mindset is just a lot harder if it's not in your same same neighborhood. I, I think I remember you mentioning that uh, one banquet hall that you had, uh, the roof got replaced like the day before there's a 300 person wedding in there. Yeah, and that's the life of an entre entrepreneur. I mean, we, we, we had flooded carpets when a bride walked through the door and, and you have to work fast to, uh, to address those issues as they come up. And it's the same with managing real estate. You, you hear a lot of success stories out there, but you have to, like you said, know about the, the horror stories and the downside risk and, and know how to manage them. And it's all about showing up every day, forming relationships with, with trades, having loyalty 
to your your trades and your tenants and working with them and informing long-term long-term relationships to help them succeed i mean another example i have is is we had a manufacturing tenants in one of our buildings who uh, during the great recession got hit really hard and they did not have enough ongoing working capital to pay rent so i had a choice i could either provide them with a notice of default uh, and then evict them or we could work with them and, and because i'm there every day i know the tenant i know their customers and i know their product i was confident in their ability to succeed so a creative approach that i took in that situation was i actually purchased their inventory from them and that gave them the liquidity necessary to come pay their rent and pay their suppliers and keep their employees employed so that they could keep manufacturing keep their business afloat and that continued for a period of months they recovered and now they're the best tenant in my portfolio wow that was a great success story on that uh, I, one of the questions I wanted to end with was what advice you'd have for, for new investors or perhaps an investor that already has like some residential and wanted to get an industrial, but, but I think you've actually indirectly answered that question throughout this, uh, invest in a market that you know, well, study that market as well as you possibly can. So you fully understand it, uh, dive deep into the property so you can get a sense of how sustainable that rental income is coming in do your full model of a projection, have that as a living, breathing document. I think that's a fantastic tip as well. And then make sure that your lenders are, 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 are cooperative and a partner in the, in the property as well. So I, 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 th I think that's like some fantastic advice for experienced or beginner investors alike. Uh, anything else that, that you'd want to add into that, that, that I might've missed as that summary? Real estate investment is, is no different than any investment when it comes to the risks of being an entrepreneur. I mean, it, it show up every day, work with your tenants, know who they are, know where they live, know uh, where they bank and, and help them, right? Help them plan to grow because when you help your tenants succeed, they will help you succeed. Mm -hmm. They will grow into your building and, and they will flourish and, and then you will flourish. You know, a mentor of mine, uh, his mantra is uh, succeeding is, is uh, when you help other people succeed. Sandy so, Schindelman. Yeah, yes. <laughs> a local Winnipeg uh, success story. A legend. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you know, work, work hard every day. Show up um, and don't make assumptions is, is one key uh, takeaway is don't assume that people know more than you do. Um, so if you hear no from a lender or you hear no from a trade, you hear no from an engineer. If you want to, if you want to create uh, a new uh, structural modification to your building, don't assume that the first answer they give you is the only answer. So, mm -hmm. so, so challenge, uh, challenge the assumptions. Great point. And, and I love the reference to, to Sandy because he's one of my favorite guys in this business. So, uh, and, and you've quickly made that list as well, because I, I'm getting a ton of value just from uh, from listening to you chat on this. Uh, so if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's what's the best way? Yeah, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me there. Um, we're working on a variety of uh, different real estate developments around town under different brands. Uh, so you'll see me on LinkedIn under each of those flags. And uh, Happy to talk about industrial with any of your listeners. 
So I'll leave a link uh, to your uh, LinkedIn description in the description below. Uh, one last thing I wanted to uh, to just get your thoughts on before we we wrap up. Uh, you've shared some pretty sophisticated spreadsheets with me, and it it might be it might be overkill for for the average investor, the the, the guy just starting out. But uh, is there a way that we could perhaps work together on simplifying something that that I could incorporate into one that that I offer for uh, for free for anyone to download. I'll, I'll put a link to that one in there as well. I'm just thinking if there's if there's a way that we could simplify that spreadsheet just to make it like a, a, a basic tenure pro forma, uh, I think people would get some value from it. So is that something that uh, maybe you could you and I could just plug away at over time here and add that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a lot of great formulas that we've used uh, in our valuations. There's one I think a lot of your listeners would, would enjoy is uh, often it's difficult for small entrepreneurs to go in alone. So they want to partner with somebody, but creating a structure that people have confidence in working together uh, can be difficult. So I have an IRR waterfall uh, for syndications um, mm -hmm. spreadsheet that I can share with you and um, yeah, discounted pro forma, happy to. Okay. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I'll, I'll work with you on that because we'd have to convert it into, uh, into Google uh, sheets just so that it's, it can be downloaded easier unless there's a way to do it on Excel. Perhaps we could look at that, but you and I can chat offline on that and figure out the best way to do that. Uh, but I, I, those spreadsheets that you've shared with me are, are invaluable. So I, I think okay. other people would certainly get some, uh, some good information from that as well. Cool. Yeah. Happy to. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much again. I, I thought that was a fantastic conversation. Loved, loved all the, the, the chat about and the dialogue. I, I really do appreciate you jumping on this call. Yeah, happy to. And um, I was a bit nervous, obviously. It's, I, don't, I don't do these type of interviews. I, I chat with lenders every day and I chat <laughs> with, uh, with you know, tenants and things, but uh, being on screen is a little different. So, Well, I, I suspect if, if you have an appetite to do it, there'll be a lot of people that would, would want you to, to jump on the show. There's a pretty big network of, of podcasters that, that go over this stuff uh, all, all over the world, really. And I think if you wanted to be doing more of these, your nervousness didn't show up from my end. And, and I think people would really value that unique combination of, of academia and experience. So if you want yeah, to actually, I, 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 uh, I listened to some of your podcasts and, uh, or your, your, your interviews. And I listen to now all of Raphael's podcasts while I drive to and yep. from work. So he's, he's a cool guy too. I'll, I'll connect the two of you. Cause I, I think it'd be a, a great uh, episode uh, for him to ask you uh, some different types of questions and then fill in that gap. I'll, I'll make an introduction for you, for you guys on okay. that. Cool. Well, Michael, thanks again. I, I really yeah. do appreciate it and look forward to keeping in touch. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Okay. Bye-bye. So as you can see, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of Michael's. Uh, I, I, there's something in the Winnipeg air where there's all these awesome real estate guys. Uh, I might have to actually uh, make a trip out there just to hang out with these guys in a little bit more detail. Uh, but super great conversation. He said he was nervous. I couldn't tell at all. All I could see is that passion and that hunger to to want to be the best real estate operator and entrepreneur he could. And, and you know, even with the experience that I have in this business, I still learn something talking to really smart guys like Michael. Uh, so looking forward to continuing that conversation with him. And as I mentioned at the end of that, we'll try to incorporate uh, some of those spreadsheets into the Google document that, that I already provide. Uh, there's a checklist in there, amortization table, a rent roll template. We'll, I'll, I'll talk with, uh, with Michael offline. We'll see how we can incorporate a pro forma or that IRR waterfall in there. So I'll put a link to there. My plan with that document is, is it for, for it to be an ongoing uh, document where I just continue at 
continually add things to it, uh, not looking to monetize that whatsoever. It's just a resource. If I can add some value with this channel and you can get something from it, that's really my ultimate goal on this. If you are getting value, uh, I'd greatly appreciate you liking this video, uh, sharing it if you could. And uh, if you aren't subscribed yet, that also mean a lot to me as well. But really do appreciate uh, you watching this. Uh, thanks, Michael, for being a guest. Love, love that episode and look forward to, uh, to more. Have a great day. This, this might make it into the blooper reel, just so you know. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> It's usually I make fun of myself in the blooper reels, but uh, occasionally situations like this might uh, f might find their way into it. <laughs> More uh, with uh, no story. I'm just gonna start over. That was <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, blooper for that one. <laughs>